missed last week, uh, we began a series called We on Mission, Woods Edge on Mission. And uh, the idea for the next several weeks together is that we are looking at uh, this, what does it look like to be a church that's on mission? We would say here at Woods Edge that we exist for three reasons, and that is to love Jesus, come on, journey together, and bring hope. Bring hope to the world, bring hope to the people around us, bring hope to our communities. That, that is why we exist. We, we have an overarching vision here that as we do those things, as we love Jesus more, as we, bring, uh, as we journey together through our spiritual life together, and as we, um, as we bring hope to our communities and to the world, that our vision is that God would do something different in our city and in our communities. That Houston would become a city of God. That there would be, uh, uh, that there'd be evidence of God moving in the lives of people within our great, uh, greater Houston metro area. That divorce rates would plummet. That we would see all the social issues that seem to plague us would, would be impacted by the gospel and they'd be going in a positive trajectory. That, that the city of Houston would be a light on the hill for all the nations. That if the city of Houston can change for the gospel, then we could uh, see a, a beacon of light go, th- go from here into the world to say God is at work. And so that is, the, that is what it looks like for us. Now to do that, it requires of us as Christ followers, it requires of us as a church here at Woods Edge that we are on mission with him. And being on mission with Jesus and being on mission with God isn't far from God's heart as we looked at last week. We did kind of a foundational understanding, a, a theology of the, missio, uh, of the missions of God, if you will, which is that God, in the Latin, what we call missio Dei, is the original missionary. It is, it is God, the missionary God, God sending himself. And since the very beginning of creation, God has propelled himself into humanity to be the life giver. And ultimately, it it came to fruition in the person of Jesus Christ, where he sent himself in his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to go to the cross to redeem that which was lost, to bring life to those who were suffering from spiritual and physical death. That it is the redemption of Christ. It was was on Jesus' heart to walk in step with God's vision to walk in step with God's mission to redeem and to seek and save the lost. And then it was Jesus who said that as the Father has sent me, he told his disciples, now I send you. And so the cycle of God, this missionary God is being played out within our lives as the church, as the people of Christ, that we are being sent, we too are being propelled into humanity to redeem and to seek that which is lost and to bring it back to the ultimate life giver, Jesus Christ. That's our, that, 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 is, that is God's heart. That, that is who he is. And we said last week that, and if you didn't, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go to the website and pick this up because it's foundational to everything we're talking about right now. That, that what we find is that when we step into mission, when the organizing principle of why we gather together is mission, when everything is calibrated around the heart of, uh, of mission, that's God's heart, what we begin to see is that we begin to see God differently, we begin to see the church differently, and we begin to see the world around us differently. Now the world around us isn't just broken humanity that, uh, uh, that, that, that's much different than me, that, that we're, we're the good people, they're the bad people outside the church, we're all the good ones. No, 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 no. What we begin to see is that every human soul has traced of a creator. 
that we've been created in the image of God and God is on mission to redeem even those in the darkest places and he desperately loves them. And if God loves them, then we love them. We love them. This is what it looks like to be on mission, to to step into the mission of God. And this morning what we're going to find out is that as we're challenged to understand is that when it comes to spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity always leads to mission. Always leads to mission. That there is something about our spiritual walk that when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when our life is being transformed and we became, become a disciple of Christ, it leads us to mission. As we grow in our faith, it leads us to the fruits of our salvation, the fruits of the ongoing work of Jesus Christ in my life, and it leads me on mission. I go back to the very beginning of when Jesus was calling his first disciples. Think about this for a second. You don't need to uh, answer audibly or it'll sound a little crazy in here if we all did it at once. But what is your definition of a disciple? Not what's your definition of discipleship, just what's your definition of a disciple? I bet we would all give different answers and they would all be somewhat right. But I go, very, go back to the very beginning where Jesus called his first disciples and he looks at Peter, Matthew chapter 4, and he says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. It's that simple. Like what's the simplicity of being a disciple of Jesus It was when Jesus called Peter and he called his disciples and he says, follow me. So a a disciple of Jesus is someone who decides to follow Jesus. They've decided to follow Jesus. He says, I will make. So a disciple of Jesus is someone who is allowing Jesus to change their life, to transform their life. And I will make you a fisher of men. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and ultimately is on mission with Jesus. That simple. Oh, how we've complicated sometimes. Jesus didn't complicate it with his disciples. He just said, hey, here's the deal. Follow me. I'm going to transform your life. And I'm going to place you on mission to make you a fisher of men. Everything that I'm doing In your life, you're going to reproduce in the life of others. The simplicity of it. But sometimes our Christian walk isn't always that simple, it seems like. I mean, think about who we are in Christ. We have to own the identity of who we are in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, if you've never spent time in the, in the book of Romans, I challenge you to do it. Uh, it may only take you five years to really go through it. It took, uh, you know, it took Dr. Dr. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones only 12 years to preach through it on Sunday morning and Sunday night. But I think you can get it in five. But the book of Romans is, is our best explanation of the gospel. It gives it from a, a, it treats it in a theological way that, 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 that impacts our heart. But, Paul, but the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 that we have been justified in Christ. That, that it's not by our righteousness that we are saved, but by the righteousness of Christ. So we've been placed in a right standing. We've been justified by the accomplished works of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then in Romans chapter 6, he tells us that we are, that we are, no, longer, uh, that we are no, no longer a slave to sin, but we are now 
now alive in Christ. We are dead to sin. We are alive in Christ. There is freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. And so Paul says, listen, you've been justified. You're no longer a slave to sin. And sometimes we still feel like we're a slave to sin. Sometimes we still have a chain around our ankles and we're carrying that sin with us. And Paul is saying, no, get rid of it because you are a righteous child of Jesus Christ. You are a son of the Most High. You are a daughter of the Most High. So get rid of the guilt and the condemnation because therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? And so he's saying, you have been justified. You are freed from sin. And then he gets to Romans 7, which is very interesting because in Romans 7, Paul talks about, you know, the things I do, I don't want to do. And sometimes the things I do want to do, I don't do. And he goes back and forth and he finally says, what a wretched man I am. Have you ever felt that way about your spiritual walk? What a wretched man I am. But he ends it this way. But blessed be the God, our Father, through his Son, Jesus Christ. You know what Paul is saying? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. (laughs) What a wretched man I am. But, oh, thank you, God, for your Son, Jesus Christ, who has justified me, set me free, and is transforming me. It's transforming me. So we have to own the identity and the privilege of being a Christ follower. We are the children of God. We, we, are, the, we, we, we are the ones who've been redeemed. We own it. It's our identity of who we are. We are the ones who, who like Peter, was called by Jesus. And though your calling wasn't on a beach and, and it wasn't, hey, come and follow me. It might have been at junior high camp, high school camp, might have been in college at, at, U, at, at FCA. Who knows where it was? But you had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And in that encounter with Christ, your life was transformed. And in that transformation, we own who we are, our identity in Christ, which entails we own also own our spiritual walk. We take ownership and responsibility of our spiritual walk, our spiritual growth. We have to do that. The Apostle Paul writing to the church of Philippi, and if you have a Bible, go to Philippians chapter 2. He's writing to the church of Philippi. And, and as he's writing to them, he's, he, he's not with them, he's absent. In fact, Paul's in prison. And as he writes to them in Philippians chapter 2, he lets them understand that even in his absence, long for, work towards spiritual growth. Even though he's not there, he's saying, church, it's your responsibility individually to to move towards Christ-likeness. To move towards spiritual maturity. This is what he says, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, he says, you know, in my presence you obey, but even outside of my presence. You go earlier in Philippians chapter 1, he's, he, he, he's thankful for them because they're, 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 they're setting the mark of what it looks like to be a Christ follower. But he goes on to say, he says, in my presence, but much more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So he's challenging them. He says, work out your own salvation. What is Paul saying? 
What he's not saying, he did not say, earn your own salvation. Work to earn your own salvation. That's not what he said. Because we can't earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. You're not nearly a good enough person to do it. Uh, I'm not either. Like we can't earn our salvation. It's a gift that is freely given to us by God the Father through his son Jesus Christ. So he says, he says but work out your salvation. Work it out with fear and trembling. He's saying that we must own our salvation. We must own the growth of our salvation. Paul, and this is actually an imperative. It's a command. He's saying, I command you to work out your spiritual growth. I command you to take ownership of your spiritual growth. Three lessons we're going to learn out of this passage this morning of when it comes to owning our salvation. Owning our spiritual growth, our maturity that always moves us to mission. The first lesson that we can learn is quite simply this, is that when it comes to our spiritual growth, when it comes to our spiritual maturity, it requires us to have total trust in God. It requires us to have total trust in God. That when it comes to my spiritual growth, I am trusting God in that. Because sometimes God calls us to do things that don't make sense. When you read through the New Testament, you see all the, uh, all the directives that we have. All the, all the commands and the imperatives. Sometimes they don't make sense. When he says, be generous. What? How does that make sense? God, you want me to be generous? And we, and we fight with God on generosity. But God says, trust me, I'm for you. You know, uh, forgive those who have done harm to you. Forgive others. God, you're really asking me to forgive that person? You must not know what you're talking about. You know what they did to me? You know the harm they brought to my life? You want me to forgive them? And God is always saying, yes, because I'm for you. I know there's something good in it. And sometimes God calls us to risky obedience, to do something of great faith. And it doesn't equate like we do the calculations. We do the pros and cons. And we're like, I don't know. I think you're missing it on this one, God. And God's saying, no, trust me. I am for you. This is always for your good. Romans chapter 8, the apostle uh, Paul wrote, he says, all things are for our good to those who love Jesus Christ. Whether it's God calling us to risky obedience, whether it's God calling us to risky faith, whether it's walking in his commands, whether it's walking in the imperatives that we see in the New Testament that seem uncomfortable, we don't know how we can do it, it doesn't feel right. God is always saying, I am for you, trust me. And if we have any question." that God is for us. Just go before this passage in Philippians 2 where it says that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death on a cross for our behalf. If that's not for us, I'm not sure what is. Jesus says, I've humbled myself to the point of death on a cross for you. I am for you. And when it comes to our spiritual growth, he is for us. He's going to push us. It's going to push us out of our comfort zone. But at the end of the day, he is always for us and for our good. Philippians 1.6, chapter before this, 
is what? That he will work out the, the work that he's already begun. That the work that he has already begun, he will fulfill it in your life. Why? Because God is for you. He's not against you. There's times where I feel like God's against me. Like, God, where are you? I thought you said. And he's like, I did say that. But you got to be tested. I'm growing you. God is always for us. And he's for you. And when it comes to owning our spiritual growth and our maturity, we trust that God is for us. Secondly, we understand the second lesson that the Apostle Paul gives us here is he, he lets us know. He says, in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that, that may seem a little... Uh, may seem a little weird. You know, Denny, you just told me God is for me. He just said that he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. He actually begins this passage by saying, beloved, you know, uh, those loved, be loved, the, the, the loved ones. And I'm sure that the Apostle Paul is not necessarily saying, hey, uh, Church of Philippi, beloved, I love you. I think he's thinking in reference of, of God with his children. He's saying, you are the loved ones of Jesus Christ. So therefore, go work out your salvation with fear and trembling. <laughs> Whoa, that doesn't seem like a lot of love. With fear and trembling? Like, like, Paul, what do you mean work out my salvation with fear and trembling? Work out is actually an important aspect of this. In the Greek, it means to bring something to completion. That we're doing something to bring it to completion. We're being diligent in something to bring it to completion. So Paul is saying the salvation that you have in Christ, bring it to completion with fear and with trembling. Owning our salvation requires of us, the second lesson that we learn, it requires of us that, that we understand it involves effort and it involves all. A-W-E. All. We all understand all. It, it, it's the... It, it's the father or it's the mother who's been out of work for nine months. And they're just trying to get by. And they've gone to job interview after job interview after job interview. And they're just like, well, I've got to provide for my family. They finally go to a job interview. They go home afterwards. And then a day later, the phone rings and they recognize the number from the caller ID that is from the uh, interview I had the day before. And before they pick up that phone, the heart begins to beat. Well, I get the job. That's all. It's the young man who is going to ask out the perfect girl. She's perfect. And he has thought it all through, what he's going to say, how he's going to do it. And it never goes that way, young men. So um, whatever you think, it always falls apart. But it's that moment where he, he poses the question, and he's wondering, how will she respond? Will she say yes? Will we be able to go to a movie? It's that moment of, okay, okay, I got this. What is she going to say? It's the officer who gets the letter in the mail. 
and he recognizes it as deployment papers. And before he opens it up, it's the awe of the moment of where am I going to go? What is it about moments like that? Why does it have such awe? Because moments like that are actually important. And what Paul is saying here is is work out your salvation with a fear and a trembling, with a awe to your life. That when it comes to your spiritual growth, it's actually important. It means something. Paul is with the understanding as he sits in a jail, in a prison, and he writes this Philippian church, probably in his mind, he's thinking about the church of Colossae. He's thinking about the church of Philippi. He's thinking about the church of Ephesus. He's thinking about all the believers. And as he sits there, he too is probably trembling and thinking, it is very possible for me to have an encounter with Jesus Christ, be transformed by the gospel, but yet squander my life. Completely squander it. Not living it on mission. Not living it for the kingdom. See, God does give us some free will in this, and I'm going to show you that in just a second. He gives us some free will in this, and that, and that we can be a redeemed child of God, and yet we can squander our life worrying about the trivial things of life rather than about the kingdom, the mission of God. And Paul is saying, so as you grow in your spiritual growth, own it with fear and trembling because it is important. It's important. I like to put it in this way. When you stay in a hotel room, you don't care how you leave the room. I stack my towels anywhere I want. I don't make the bed. I don't care if there's toothpaste on the sink. I don't care. Why? Because I'm leaving. I'm gone. Someone's going to come in and clean it up, right? If I try that at home, it ain't going uh, to work. My wife's going to say, will you get your socks off the floor? I'm not your mom, right? Like, why do I treat a hotel room different than I do my house? I treat a hotel room differently because there really is no tomorrow. I don't live in it tomorrow. But my home I treat different because I'm living there tomorrow. It's like what the Apostle Paul said to the church of Corinth. And this is great advice, by the way. He says, if there was no resurrection of Jesus Christ, and if there is no resurrection of you, and there is no eternal salvation and eternal life in Jesus Christ, you know what he says? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. If Jesus has not risen and the gospel isn't true, he's looking at the church of Corinth and saying, don't be foolish. Go and party it up. Live life like it's a hotel room because there is no tomorrow. But what we know to be true is that Jesus did rise. There is a resurrection. The gospel is real. Therefore, we live like there is a tomorrow and that there is an eternity. And so what we do with our spiritual walk is important. It has awe to it. It has awe to it. And we have to own it. We have to own our spiritual growth. Each and every single one of us. 
It's part of the DNA of a, of a disciple of Jesus. Is that we own it. It's our responsibility. Parents, it, it's not Pastor Justin's job in student ministries to own the spiritual growth of your children. He can't. Only your teenager can own their spiritual growth. Only you can own your spiritual growth and your maturity. Not your home church group leader. Not your Bible study leader. Not Pastor Jeff. You. Paul says, you work it out. You own it. And I've heard it said before, and any of those who have been in church for a long time, well, you know, I'm... I'm a mature Christ follower. I've been following Jesus and living with Christ for 20 years, but I, have, I, I just have to switch churches because I'm just not being fed. You ever heard that? Let's just think this one through just for a second. Because that doesn't say a whole lot about the church. It says more about you. Because I have a clan of five. i got three kids, and they're all of various ages. There's only one of my children that need to be fed. And he's three years old. He's three. My, my other son who's sitting up here, he's 11. If you saw us out to lunch today and I'm breaking up the food and putting it in his mouth, you would go, what, what is, that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And you walked over to me and said, why are you feeding your son? Well, he needs to be fed. He's 11 years old. Yeah, I know, but. <laughs> like, something has stunted his growth. Now, in a church our size here at Woods Edge, it, we understand, we are, there, there are all along the spectrum of spiritual growth in our relationship with Jesus. There are people in different places. There are some of you who haven't even made a, a, a decision to follow Jesus. There are some who are new to the faith in Christ, who have decided to follow Jesus. And, and, and you are spiritual children. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. It's an amazing thing. And then there are some who, who, who've been walking with Christ a little bit longer. And then there are some who are, well, real, you know, they've been 30 years in the church, 30 years in their faith. And this is just the progression but when it comes to owning our spiritual growth, there are times when, yes, someone needs to feed us. You know, we're a toddler. Someone's got to break up our food. Someone's got to put it in our mouth. Then there are times when, then, you know, like my kids now, my 11-year-old, he can't go purchase the food. I at least got to purchase the food, put it in the pantry, and we make the dinners, but we put it in front of him, and he can eat it. But then by the time I'm an adult, I'm making my meals, See where I'm going? Owning our spiritual growth, what Paul is saying is like, those of us who say we are mature in Christ, make sure you understand what you're saying because what Paul's biggest concern, he says, even in my absence, he's looking at the church of Philippi, he's saying, even if I'm not there, I want to know that you're going to take responsibility of your spiritual growth. I want to know that you're going to own it. I want to know that I don't have to be there to feed you, but you can sit at the buffet of God's promises and feed yourself. I want to know that, 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 you're, that you're going to mature yourself. You're going to take the responsibility of growing in your walk with Christ. The church does a great job at supplementing 
what we should be feeding ourselves every day. For us to ever move into mission, it takes a congregation of people who have a corporate and individual commitment to say, I am going to partake. I'm going to feed myself. And as an adult and as a parent, I'm going to feed others. I'm going to feed my kids. Making sense? Yeah? Thank you. I mean, I'm preaching hard up here. I'm sweating. We've got to get to that place. Like the church of Philippi, where Paul says, own it. Own your spiritual growth. Your spouse cannot own your spiritual growth. You can't own your children's spiritual growth. So we have to teach them while they're young how to eat, how to prepare a meal, so that when they are mature and they're living on their own and they're living on mission, they can feed themselves. Because that's Paul's concern. So he says, work it out with fear and trembling, with awe, because our spiritual walk is important. It's important. The third lesson Paul shows us in this is that as Christ's followers, we have to cooperate with God's work in us. He says, my beloved, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with an all, take ownership of it, for it is he who wills and works. I love the Apostle Paul because in the Greek, it's one long sentence. And in the Greek, he has no problem putting man's free will and responsibility right next to God's sovereignty and it's not an issue. Like he's okay with it. And Paul's saying that you do what you do. You walk in your responsibility of growing as a Christ follower and let God do what he does. God will, will, will and work in your life. And he doesn't have a problem. He doesn't elevate one over the other. Not in this particular moment. He says, listen, here it is. You have to take responsibility. But trust me, God will do his work in you. And it requires a cooperation with God's work in us. It was A.W. Tozer who once said, he said that, he said that desire without discipline will always breed disappointment. Think about that for a second in your own life. Whether it's in your workplace, becoming proficient at a hobby, uh, young, young people uh, playing sports, you want to be the best baseball player in the woodlands, whatever it may be. Discipline, I mean, desire to be that best baseball player but if you don't have discipline to become that best baseball player, you're always going to be disappointed. You're never going to reach your dream. The same is true in our spiritual walk. I have a fundamental belief. Those of us who've come into relationship with Jesus, that at, at the very core of who we are, when we read about the Apostle Paul, when we read about Peter, when we read about all the heroes of the faith, there's something inside us that says, I want to do that. I want to be that. I want to make a difference in the world around me. I believe that. 
I believe that even if you're, you know, been a little far from God right now, somewhere down deep inside, you're like, I do. I, I, I want to be that warrior for Jesus Christ. I want to I be a part of transforming the world for the sake of Jesus Christ. I believe we all have that desire. But do we have the discipline to own our salvation to, to grow in maturity in Christ so that as a disciple, one who's decided to follow Jesus is being changed by Jesus, maturing in Jesus, it ultimately leads me to mission. The desire, without the discipline, you will always be discouraged in our spiritual walk. We'll always feel disappointed. So Paul says to you, beloved, he says to us, beloved, loved ones of Jesus, loved ones of God, the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ who have been redeemed and justified by the blood of Christ, who are righteous, that is your identity. He says, beloved, own your spiritual growth. Take it serious because it's important. And as you grow, it will propel you on the mission. And don't worry, you can trust God with it because it's ultimately he who is will and working in your life and he will be with you the whole entire way. He's the power, he's the energy, he's the energy, the will, energy to it. He's the one who's working in you. So step in to desiring it being disciplined, and you won't be disappointed. Your life will be made full as you are part of the mission of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We are your loved ones. We are your loved ones. We've been redeemed. We've been justified by the blood of Christ. And you have called us. You have said, follow me. I will make you a fisherman. You've called us on a mission to step into your heartbeat, which is your heartbeat is to redeem that which is lost and to bring life to that which has death. And Lord, we, we respond to this this morning by, uh, by taking of communion, remembering the blood that was spilled on our behalf, the body that was broken on our behalf, your son, Jesus Christ, who ultimately gave his life to give us life. We respond to that. We take the elements and we worship and we sit in the mercy of the cross. We sit in the mercy of the cross. As Colin and his team lead us in worship here in just the next few moments, at any point that you want, here at Woods Edge, we take communion every week. You can come up to the front and uh, uh, take of the elements or there's uh, tables in the back and tables in the middle there. Um, at your leisure, with your spouse, with your family, come and partake of the Lord's Supper and do this in remembrance of him.